The Tefl Commute, Season 11, Episode 3, Emergency Episode, Sick, in which Sean and I talk about all things related to health and English teaching. Let's get going. Welcome to another episode of the Tuffle Commute. I'm one of your hosts, I'm Sean, and the other host is... Lindsay, I'm here. Hello, everybody. Hi, Lindsay. How you doing? When, when, you, when you contacted me and said, uh, let's do an episode on sick, I thought, uh, you know, I wanted to say, but the episodes are always sick. Oh. Oh, nice. <laughs> I'm down oh. with the kids. I'm down with the you're kids. Da- he's down with the... You're down with the 2004 kids. Oh, is that, oh, <laughs> I, oh what's the word now? Oh, oh, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm not I, sure. I, because my son, my, my five and a half year old son, has now started saying sick. And I'm like, oh, really? What? Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, this is the Temple Commute. We're a podcast for language teachers, and it's not about language teaching, but the topic does come up frequently. And this episode, as I said at the top, is an emergency episode. We had another episode planned, but then with all the things that are happening, are, am I going to say the word or are you going to say the word that nobody wants to hear anymore because we're just sick of it? The, the sick of the word sick. Now, I know what you mean. Sick of the word, yeah. You mean the, the C word, the COVID-19. Yeah, the, yes, the, yeah, the COVID coronavirus word. Um, because that's sort of dominating so much of everybody's brain space, it made us think about things on how that related to English language teaching um, and health and sickness in general. So in, in this episode, like in all other episodes, we take a topic and we explore it. We should put a warning up because I think people probably are sick of hearing about the yes. virus. We're not going to give but, updates on the virus. We're not yes. going to give uh, advice and we're not going to spread uh, conspiracies or speculate about <laughs> origins or anything like that. We are going to talk though, uh, using that as a, a launching point, we're going to talk about uh, sickness. The two things we will talk about is the, the one interesting thing I really like about it, and secondly, because uh, um, I think in Europe the, the most the most uh, affected country at the moment is uh, Italy. I do we do have an interview with a teacher in Italy because I think it would be interesting just to get their perspective from it. Yes, but, uh, over the recording that, this, Italy has closed all schools and universities around forty eight hours ago, twenty four hours ago. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Um, so um, I being. The, the, the way my mind works. The bit I like about this virus, that's a very odd thing to say, isn't it? Is the advice about hand washing. Yes, <laughs> we're supposed to wash our hands frequently and for uh, it's 20 seconds that you're supposed to wash your hands. For. Yeah, yeah, it is. And um, so, um, so I'm, 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 as I'm sure listeners probably saw that when this kind of 20 second advice came out, um, the, a, the, the advice that came with it is like teach people to say, um, uh, sing happy birthday. So as you wash your hands, you don't have birthday. Do you have, you know, you, you yeah. sing that. So if, if you, you sing, sing the whole good. song, like it, it, even up to like, dear Sean, happy birthday to you, then I can turn off the tap. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as long as you do it twice. Okay. 
Oh, I have to do it twice. Yes, oh, right. Okay. Yeah, and okay, as my son says, can my son said, can the second time can I sing the silly version? All right, yeah. Okay. All right, yeah. <laughs> Happy so, birthday uh, to you, dear dear Pooh Face, or something. Yeah, like that. That, yeah. well, actually, yes, yes. You've met my son. You know what he's what his favorite <laughs> word is. Um, so, um, so of course, social media takes to this uh, as they do. Twitter hashtag start, and we, there are the twenty second. Um, 20 second choruses that okay. um that replace happy birthday so um there's a link which i think you'll find in the british nme and also in the in the la times online which of course we'll put in the show notes uh, a okay. list of a list of songs uh with it so um i quite like one of the songs is um culture oh, Kama Chameleon. So you know, so you sing Kama Chameleon, Kama 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 Chameleon. I am really sorry, audience, for singing. You can't oh, go. Yeah. So if you go through that up to red, gold, and green, then you you're able to wash your hands. My oh, other I, like this. I like this list. I like this list. I would Have you seen the list? Sing, yeah, <laughs> I'm looking at it right now. Uh, let's go through a couple of them. I would like to sing um, Toto's Africa. Um, that could let the chorus last 20 seconds. Or Prince. Yeah, the thing, the thing I learned about that. The thing I learned about that with Toto is I've been singing the chorus wrong for years. Oh, that's great. I like Jolene as well. Jolene, 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 Jolene. I just think, you know, when you think of it in back and when they do comedy sketches, I just feel that there's this, there's this moment, you know, a load of, load of uh, and I'm going to say men because I think it'd be funnier with this urinal moment where they all go to the toilet and then they're all turning around to wash their hands and you, yes. get, you, you get them all Everyone's just singing, Jolene, singing Jolene. songs. <laughs> Excellent. But, so um, I guess the I guess the uh, the the uh, the thing is what would be we we should have thought about this we should what what would ELT songs could we have oh or, or what would be the ELT equivalent to the last twenty seconds like like recite the irregular verb list <laughs> brilliant yeah <laughs> maybe well, maybe people would I can understand if people prefer to sing Raspberry Beret than just say uh, sing sang sung begin began begun. <laughs> How about, how about, yeah, read, page entries, read a page from the dictionary. Like, have I can see your this. material writing mind ticking over and I'm going, oh, how can I get that into my next course? Oh, book? exactly. Yeah, 20 <laughs> seconds. What can you do in 20 seconds? Can you do a gap fill? I suppose, or could you do a, oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, many implications here. Okay. So, uh, so season season eleven, episode four will be twenty second activities. Yeah, <laughs> twenty second activities that you could do uh, while washing your hands. Learn learn English while English, washing your hands. Uh, ELT for washing your hands. Yep, yep. There's a whole new ESP market coming out there. Um, so that was the bit. That, that, that I think that's the only the one bit I uh, want to really talk about. But I think we perhaps uh, should listen to Kate and see what Kate's got to say about what it's like in a place where all the schools have suddenly been closed. Ready? Okay, let's go. So, as I said to Lindsay, I happen to know people that in Italy that were uh, suffering a bit, and one of those people, well, not suffering, but were, 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 were probably further down the coronavirus route than I am here in England. Uh, so I'm really pleased that uh, from life, from quarantine, as they say, these days, I'm joined by Kate Knight. Now, Kate Knight's in Milan. She's the uh, Director of Studies of International House Milan. Uh, hi, Kate. Right? Hello. Yes, all right. Thank you. <laughs> Gone stare crazy yet, or is it a? Um, yeah, I mean, it is. Uh, there is a certain amount of cabin fever going on, though. So yeah. <laughs> I, 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 mean, I don't. I mean, everybody thinks about the quarantine, but I, I, so the schools are closed, yeah. Yes. Uh, and I guess you've got kids, so your 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 kids' schools are closed as well. So that's so right, essentially yeah. you're locked. You're in the flat, and you can't go out. Or I mean, how does it work? How's it working? Okay. Well, we're not actually. We're not. We're what in Milan itself is what 
is called the yellow zone. Oh, okay. um, so we're not actually in the, the red zone itself, whereas you literally cannot leave and, you know, people can't go in or out, uh, which you right. have around like Codonio, uh, which is a little bit further south of here. Um, so yellow, where we are at the moment, means that you, you are free to go to a degree, but there's not really much you can do. Um, so the, as you said before, the schools are, are closed. So that's obviously um, affecting work, as in the language school. Um, not that we're not busy, because we are, um, but that, uh, we, there's lots of things going on, but we can't actually have students in the school. But as you said before, anyone who has families, it's, uh, that's been the most stressful thing, because you've got children at home full time, um, and even for, um, for example, most offices, uh, any, any company that isn't, um, manufacturing or, you know, something that has to be yep. physically there, everyone's smart working like from home. So people are trying to, trying to have two hats on at the same time, basically. So being a good parent and doing your job well, sort of simultaneously, which is not easy. Yeah, I must admit, the conversations I've had, that's the kind of thing that, that I think is, sounds the most stressful. It's actually, okay, what do I do with the kid for two weeks that, you know, when you can't really go anywhere and do anything? There's um, been a lot more TV than there would usually be, I have to say. <laughs> I, I, I bet that has. And, um, you say, uh, so I, I heard about the red zones today. I was talking to some other Italians today. They were talking about the red zone. They were, they were kind of a flippant hello from the red zone. And, and then somebody else was saying, like, a hello from a deserted Milan. Is Milan, is Milan really that deserted? or is it, it's... Um, I mean, it's, uh, it's pretty quiet. I mean, people have been told to uh, avoid crowded places. Um, I mean, even things like the, the public transport system is all still running, but even like during rush hours, people send me photos of like empty tube carriages and there's just, there's not a lot of people around. Uh, Piazza Duomo, obviously that's normally bringing with people, there, there's not a lot of people uh, around. To be honest, I mean, I haven't really been out and about that much anyway, because between right. work and doing things, we kind of, and between house, park, house and park occasionally as well. That's about as far as supermarket as well, which even there, uh, but that's do you, do just the Do essential. your kids understand it? Do, do, do your kids get it? Do they understand what's going on? Um, well, my, my children are quite young. My, my eldest is four and a half. The little right. one's only two. So I have explained parts of it to my, my eldest, um, and he understands a bit that there's, uh, because he wants to know why he can't see his friends, why he can't yeah. go to school. Um, but obviously trying to explain it in a way that's age appropriate and doesn't worry them. Uh, that's quite hard. Yeah. Yeah. I just kind of trying to teach my son to make sure he washes his hands for 20 seconds is quite hard in, in that, in that sense. Just yes, like, exactly. why, why, stop putting your hand in your mouth. Will you? It's kind of that kind of stuff. Um, so, I mean, you see, we, you see a, a British media is, is nothing if, if it's not sensationalist. So we do get lots of, you know, really good sensationalist reporting over here and we're, we're, we're seeing the toilet rolls shortages in Sydney and you know the hand sanitizers have run out mm. in the UK what's, what's it, is that is are the Italians a little bit more sanguine about it a more laid back about it well I mean I have to say after I mean the first uh, when it all sort of kicked off well, almost two weeks ago now um those first few days were kind of panic stations and um that was i think people um, myself included it is a bit shocking because you hear about things you read about things and then suddenly it's on your doorstep and you know you do feel nervous about it and uh, the first few days were the, were very eerie in terms of um 
people just disappearing from everywhere. I remember my husband went to the supermarket um, the day after just to get do a normal shop, and he sent me, he phoned me from there and just empty shelves. The whole, right. we have a massive uh, supermarket, two-storey like supermarket at the end of our own, just shelves and shelves and shelves of empty things, and it had just been completely, and it was wow. like that for a few days. Um, and then I think after the initial kind of panic sort of stops and the supermarkets are sending signs saying, please don't overbuy, you know, we're going to continue be restocking, et cetera. Then, and, and just generally as well, things turn from being a, like a shock and then it just gets, it just turns into the new normal really. Into normality. I yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But obviously from, I mean, you work at a, uh, an international house, school, which is a, a private school, all the schools are closed, but I mean, the state schools uh, down to the private schools obviously rely on clients. That's the way they work. So mm -hmm. what, uh, what kind of effect does it have on the school? How was the school coping? Um, well, we, uh, we had just started uh, developing or looking into products because we wanted to to start selling uh, some online uh, courses at our, our school. It's something that we were looking to do over a number of months and we'd got to the stage where we'd started researching a few areas. We'd done one training session with the teachers from one of our teachers who is an expert in this area who'd done a great training session on Zoom with our other teachers. Uh, thinking that we were going to start, you know, building up from there, and then suddenly, this is some. This happened uh, in kind of fast forward, basically. Right. Um, so the first week that we were off, uh, we were off. We were closed completely. Um, everything was cancelled. All the lessons to all the teachers. We set um, various uh, activities, projects for them to do. They were designing. Less. They were first of all testing out the platform. Um, meeting together in groups, uh, trying out different things, sharing, group sharing, uh, like a troubleshooting document, so the things that could go wrong, trying it out on different devices, looking at different views, testing out some lessons. So they had a bit of a practice between themselves and fed back to us during that first week while we were trying to plan how we were going to roll things out. And then we started uh, then offering courses first to our individual uh, students, one-to-ones and two-to-ones, and then... Um, uh, from um, this week, we've started um, offering also to our, our group courses. So uh, we'll buy net, net from next Monday. Almost all of our courses will be available online, except for eleven and age eleven and below, which we just couldn't face right now. I don't even know. If, <laughs> I don't even know if it's feasible. I mean, that's the that's the. If the situation right. continues, then it's something we're obviously going to look into. But for now, it's. Uh, that's, so that's, basically, that's, in, the, in the space of two weeks, you've gone from teaching in a physical classroom to teaching in an online classroom. Yes. Yes. Quite, it's quite been a big change. <laughs> yeah. Quite an experience. And how are the teachers kind of coping with that? Do you know what? I, we were just uh, saying today, so we had a teachers meeting this morning on Zoom. Yeah. And um, I'm just... Uh, you know, I'm absolutely thrilled with the way that the teachers responded. I mean, I think they've just been, they've just been fantastic. They're straight away. Uh, I mean, obviously when you're changing something and you're doing something completely new, we were worried as well when we were thinking about this project in a, you know, rolling it out in a, in a medium long term, you know, dealing with people who are worried about how they were going to respond to it, how we could make sure it was positive for everyone and suddenly kind of throwing it on them like this. Mm. We thought that there would be a lot of, um, you know, there would, people would ne not necessarily all respond to it positively, but they've just, they've really been fantastic. And um, they've really used each other as a resource and 
and uh, yeah, generally it's been great. And the, the feedback we've had so far from the students has generally been all very positive as well. <laughs> Do you think there's a danger that when everything passes that the, uh, the, the, the you'll stay on wine then, or is it? A... <laughs> well, there is that. I mean, yeah, I think that. Um, well, I mean, I think the the ideal situation there is now is that people will realise that there is options. I think, yeah. and there will be still be some people that will want to come in and have the face to face aspect. But we, by the end of this, whenever this will end, I hope we will all be at a stage in the school where we're very confident with both types of lesson and that we can offer actually a good viable alternative as well as a sort of separate mm. product so who knows um how it will end up yeah it, it seems to be that i mean I, it's amazing how much clamor there is uh, for it the online uh, they always helping out in a wearing a different hat uh, with Italians today and all the questions were like how do we get online how do we provide a lesson so it kind of it's a strange way that this might be the kind of a tipping point into into online teaching you know it's been around around the around the fringes for a while but now well, it's, it's certainly given of, us the kick we needed. Yeah, it's, I guess so. <laughs> and, I mean, generally speaking, the teachers, because a lot of, I mean, in a private language school, you get a mix of teachers have obviously come into uh, Milan for a contract and stuff. Mm -hmm. and, and, have you found people just, you know, wanted, are happy to stay? Or have you been kind of having to do lots of extra pastoral kind of care to, to make sure teachers are okay or um, how, how have the staff reacted generally not about online i'm been talking about the situation okay about the situation yeah i mean again um i think we've made sure we've kept in contact with everyone we've checked um about their their situation to make sure everyone's uh okay i mean i have to say a large percentage of our teachers are actually are from here or have lived yeah, here for okay. a while so we don't have too many teachers who are are, are new and they're uh, kind, of, kind of on their own here in that sense but those people we've obviously made sure that are, are, are looked after I mean also on that side of things as well it's also important I think to remember that it's one thing for, for contract teachers as well who maybe still obviously in terms of salary still getting getting paid but for freelancers which a large bulk of people are in uh, who work for private language schools it, it's you know can be quite a scary time just because yeah. you don't you know you could go up to a month without any salary yeah. um, and so trying to make sure that you know we 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 share out the work that we've got to make sure that everyone can can cope you know financially uh, we know just yeah, meet I mean, the basic needs basically of everybody it's one of those things. I mean, there's a lot of talk about the zero. I mean, ELT in many places is a zero-hour contract uh, profession, and it is one of those things that uh, it is worrying, I guess, for freelancers mm -hmm. that, that these can, can come on. Uh, so, two more weeks of uh, confinement, I believe. Uh, well, yeah, it definitely until the fifteenth of March, um, and then yeah, who knows? We it's we we're just kind of making a plan A and plan B for for every week. For which, guys. Uh, yeah, yeah, and seeing how it goes, really. Well, they often say that uh, directors of studies have to be ready for anything, and um, I'm sure that when you took on the job originally, a worldwide pandemic wasn't something that was in, <laughs> in, in the it's job description. Not on my job description. <laughs> <laughs> but now you, but now you can add it to your CV and skill set. Anyway, okay, uh, stay safe, uh, wash your hands, as everybody in the UK would tell you, and, and thank you so much for your time. Uh, and hopefully, the situation will resolve itself sooner rather than later. Thank you for speaking to us. Okay, thanks very much. Bye-bye. Yeah, I'm not sure I'd want to be uh, at home for uh, for two weeks. I don't <laughs> know. I was talking with a friend about it. Like, if I had a good internet connection and some good games, would that be okay? But I'd probably end up having to work way more. Because the yeah. other thing is then, like, you'd be like, there's, you know, just stuck 
working all the time and i guess case. i guess for us we work at home a lot anyway so there's kind of that advantage but yeah. just but bear in mind the good internet one of the things that i've noticed and i have uh for me because i obviously um specialize in when i specialize in online learning the lag is terrible yeah, uh, because because everyone's I, I, everyone's at home on the bloody computer yeah, now when they should yeah, be at school. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I was I was trying to run a, a, an ELT event for or helping out an ELT event in with in Asia uh, last week, and there's lag because everybody's online. And uh, oh wow, was, yeah, I bet in China the internet is slowed right down kind of, during. It's just the like day. horrible. And in, and yesterday in, in, in I was um, helping out an, an Italian event online, and there was lag everywhere because everybody's online, everybody's at home and online. So yeah, but I I do look around. Uh, this <laughs> as you know, I'm a board gamer, so um, I do look around thinking, wow, I could just play games all day. But That's um, and if you are, if you are a board gamer, then obviously Pandemic is the game to play at the moment. I know, isn't that <laughs> freaky? If you've played Pandemic, it feels so much like it here. Um, if you play, if you played Legacy as well, but the Legacy yep. version, this is very geeky. The name of the the, the disease in the in the in the Legacy version. <laughs> Is not that dissimilar from COVID. no. That's right. It is, it is very similar. All right, let's, anyway. we're, we're geeking out. We're geeking out. Yeah, let's take a break. So, I brought something to this episode because obviously, you know, thinking of la we're language teachers, so thinking of language, and one of the interesting books that I remember reading and having quite an effect on me um, was a book called. Uh, Illness as Metaphor by Susan Sontag, and this was a okay. quite a well-known book in in medical circles. Where what what uh, it was a book about cancer, and it was written in 1978. It was a critical theory um, that challenged the language that is used around cancer. That at the yeah. time was seen, yeah, in in just with the way people talk about cancer. So like like metaphors like cancer as a war and as uh, the illness as a war. So like you're struggling through cancer, like you know. Oh, okay and I get over it. But also there was like uh, around 50 years ago, the language for people with cancer was sort of that it was a disease that afflicted people who lacked um, passion. You know, it was sort of like a lethargic disease. And, and if you were uh, like, if you had it, you had no passion, sensuality, et cetera. Right. And so, right. Um, and, and so like whether or not the language around it helped cause depression associated with cancer or the other way around. Oh, so it kind of becomes like a vicious circle. You, you, you're ill, but exactly. then the language around exactly. it is ill. So and it, and it she, she, drew the, she drew a link to uh, tuberculosis, which, uh, uh, around a hundred years ago was seen as a creative disease. So um, some people, healthy people, even wanted to look as if they were ill with tuberculosis because it was supposed to be like what afflicted artists and so on. Anyway, but what was interesting in that from a language teacher's point of view, and I remember doing work on this from for Macmillan back in the day, um, was looking at the way we uh, what what do we talk about when we talk about illness and what kind of metaphors? So there's a way of looking at language as metaphors. So for example, in English, in to give a different one apart from illness, like intelligence. Intelligence is sometimes viewed as a light. So for example, someone can be bright or he's a bright spark, means yeah, that's spark. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the metaphor and I want you to think of, there are several ones that, uh, that, work with illness and I want you to think of examples okay. so for example the metaphor is in English that illness is down and health is up so can you think of terms when we talk about sick that 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 when you're sick it's down and when you're well it's up uh, oh, I can think of a down one because it just came into my head so yeah. you've got but it is down because you said down it's run down 
Uh, yeah, you feel you feel run down or, means that you're thinking. That, or you uh, could. Also, I, I'm. I'm. Uh, he went down with a cold. Oh yes, yes, yes. Of course. Uh, under the I'm thinking of idioms because yes, uh, under, idioms, under, under, under the weather would be. Yeah, you're uh, under the one. weather as well. Yeah, yeah. You feel when you feel really low. You feel run down. Um, if and if an illness is getting bad, it's sinking fast. Um, yeah. And that, or or the other one, which I think is definitely is um, if you are laid low, or even most common, you fall ill. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, and so the other the other side of that coin is health is up. So yeah. So how would you uh, how would you come? Up? Uh, how would you come up? Um, I guess well, I'm trying to think again. I'm stuck in the idiom get, get over it, but that's not really yeah, an uppy yeah, phrase. Yeah, getting over it. Yeah, I suppose. But if you get over something, like getting over a fence, means you climb up over it. Um, uh, get back another on one. your feet. So it's yes, kind of, get a, back on your feet, bounce back, okay. um, sh- throw it off, um, etc. Okay, so the next one is illness is an enemy attacker. Oh well, illness always invades, isn't it? Yes, so, it's a, so a those, cell, so, an infected cell invades. It's interesting because I was watching uh, what I what I have watched about the the uh, the disease that shall not be named. Um, yeah. Is um, is is always when you're watching the videos or whatever, it invades the cells. Is is. Um, is the language that they use with it. So yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh, There's oh, a fight, oh. and you fight illness as well, don't you? Exactly. You fight <laughs> illness. Yeah. Um, yeah. You have a heart attack, or um, you fight off illness. Um, you are vulnerable to infection. Um, the body's defenses. Um, you resist infection. Um, you battle uh, infection. Exactly. You battle to save life. Oh, there is no magic bullet. It's uh, really interesting. I've never thought about it this way, but it's interesting. Exactly. Uh, in, uh, anymore. Uh, yes, there's another one. Illness is an unnatural state. So this uh, is quite important because if you view this, it kind of affects the way you think of it. But think of words like you are a shadow of your formal self. I'm not feeling myself. I'm out of sorts. I'm yeah, back yeah. to my I'm back to my old self again. So yeah. the idea here is like if you if you talk about it that way, then it kind of actually like makes you feel that way. And the last one that I'll check you on is illness is monochrome. Health is colorful. Think of words like that then. Illness is monochrome and uh, health is... Oh, well, yeah, people glow, don't they? That would yes, be, exactly. That, you, that would you be glow. colorful. Yeah, you glow. Um, blooming in blooming uh, yeah. health, yeah. yeah. Uh, what about what about the monochrome? Illness is monochrome. Uh, so that would be, I don't know, if you're monochrome, you would want black, white, gray. Uh, yes. Yeah, like if you say, oh, his skin is gray. Okay, is yeah. Sort of gray, but it's like, but ashen, white, pale, off color. Oh, yeah, sorry, I didn't even think, yeah, looking white, <laughs> you look white is a normal expression, isn't exactly. it? Yeah. You look yeah, white, yeah. or yeah. you're fate. I'm fading, I'm fading quickly, he faded uh, away, yeah. Jeez. So there you go. Actually, Lindsay, that's one of the most interesting things you've brought to the podcast in a while. (laughs) Well, excellent. Damned with faint praise. So, I mean, yeah, there are, are, like anything in English, there are lots of idioms. uh, Yes, exactly. And I think a lot of the idioms do fall into those different metaphors. They do, And there's a way that sometimes you you can teach this way. So you can teach, like, as a vocabulary set, you know, illness is a war and then you can teach all the phrases around that which is what i did if you check it on one stop english with my name lindsey clanfield metaphor lessons one stop english i think i have some lessons on there about that you just turned that into an advert for yourself amazing well done bravo bravo (laughs) excellent 
That was impressive. Um, um, yeah, so this this idea of of uh, teaching English was quite uh, teaching like the health words and what I think all all of us as teachers have probably yeah. taught an idiom set of uh, of yes. language around uh, 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 around health and so on. It, again, a, a common um, course book trope, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, but what interested me a little bit was the way around. I mean, I've taught for many years and I've taught many things, but I've never taught English for the medical profession. Have you? Neither have I. I mean, I've had a nurse in my class and a doctor, but I've never yeah, exactly. taught but, English but, for doctors. And I wondered, uh, I, 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 I was kind of like, I, you know, how do you go about that? Is it the same as how do you get into it? Do, I mean, is it the same as teaching any kind of ESP kind of thing? Mm -hmm. And then it occurred to me that I actually know someone that teaches medical English and writes uh, quite substantially, uh, lots of course book up, books on it. So um, double interview, eh? two interviews in one one oh, uh, wow. one episode. Well, so I interviewed Ros Wright, who uh, has written uh quite substantially on the area of teaching English uh, to the medical profession. And I think we have to make that difference. We're not, it's not like teaching idioms and, and that, that we do yeah. is general English. This is teaching, uh, well, she'll tell you, but it's like teaching doctors and nurses, basically how to deal with patients in English. Um, and it is fascinating. And I, I have learned a new framework as we shall see. Uh, hi, Ros, how you doing? Hi, I'm fine, thank you. Excellent. You're fine. You're not supposed to be fine. You're stepping on sick. We're supposed to be sick and in bed. Now, um, I was just saying to you before we started recording, Lindsay and I were getting ready for this episode and, and we've said to each other, medical English. Have you ever taught medical English? Yeah, no. And then I was like, but I think I know someone who has. So, <laughs> Ros, I, 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 I think you're the go-to person for medical English around the world. Looking at you, prolific author. I was, as I said to you again before we started writing, you have incredible amounts of books in the field of, of medical English um, and, and other areas as well. I believe you just said you've got a new book coming out. So what's your new book? Do you want to tell us what your new book is first? Yes, it's um, it's called the um, OET Speaking and Writing Skills Builder. And, um, and the aim of the book is to help um, OET candidates to pass their exam. Um, the OET is the Occupational English Test, and it's a test for healthcare professionals. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. And it's just, just healthcare professionals that, that do Just healthcare professionals, but within that, um, there are 12 different tests according to the discipline that you, um, the field that you actually work in. So it could be dentistry, could be podiatry, um, you could be a vet. Um, but most people who take it are actually nurses or, um, or, or doctors. So... Um, it, it's kind of, I always think about, you know, medical English, I, I would categorize it as obviously ESP, you know, it's mm. kind of, I, I guess people tend to think of business English and ESP and then, and then medical English. Um, how does one get into teaching medical English? <laughs> well, it's actually a lot easier now than it was, let's say, 20 years ago, um, because of the introduction of the test that I just mentioned um, into the UK and Ireland, for example. Um, so there's a lot more opportunities um, to teach medical English than there were previously. Obviously, you could be teaching um, English for academic purposes, but within, you know, the, the discipline of medicine, mm -hmm. if you university and that's sort of predominantly where people have worked I think in the past right um, but more recently as I said with the introduction of the OET or other the OET has actually been around for about 20 years but it was only just recently um, over the last couple of years accepted um, as um, 
for registration, if you like, into the General Medical Council and the Irish equivalent. All right. So, so essentially, if you if somebody wants to come and uh, uh, work in a, a British hospital, they would need to, and they, they, they English was a second language, they would need this qualification. Is, is, is that yes. The kind of thing? Yes. You'd either need the IELTS or you'd need the OET. But you know, okay. we're hoping people take OET because it's 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 healthcare um, specific. That's fabulous. Yeah. So it's, I mean, I keep calling it medical English. Is that right? I mean, is it is medical English the the field? Um, yeah yeah i think so i mean like like with any um any area in esp whether it be legal english medical english english for engineering there are there are different strands to it um and the area that i sort of really work on work in if you like is patient communication skills um so whether that be for doctors or nurses um then so 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 basically the well their ability to communicate correctly with uh, with patients uh, exactly exactly yes yeah, sort of getting the meaning across um, um using the the right sort of expressions when you want to demonstrate empathy but actually and also make sure um which is actually more important to a certain extent make sure that it sounds empathetic and sounds compassionate um which you know is is not as easy as it as it sounds really no i'm just thinking it because because i imagine that it's not just the kind of the structure is it it's how it's said as well and often yeah. that's one of the things that's tricky to 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 pick up in english isn't it how it is. the, the way you say a phrase or something can be really misinterpreted um, so, so easily so yeah. i mean delivery <laughs> is 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 a lot of what what i do in fact because right. i end up doing because most of the doctors that i'm working with they're about to go onto the wards into you know in in, in hospitals in the uk um and they already have passed their ielts or their oet so they've got the equivalent of ielts um uh, 7.5 for example so they've got a pretty high level of English, um, but where they stumble quite often is is actually in the delivery of the language. Okay, so what would be? I mean, if if we, if uh, somebody listening were to open one of your books in, in communication mm -hmm. skills, what would be a typical? What would a typical lesson look like? I think we can all imagine a, a typical course book lesson, you know, of general English, yeah. whatever. So what would what would a what would a typical medical English lesson comprise of? Well, I mean, it depends what um, what topic you're doing. Obviously, I make a lot of use, if you like, of frameworks or, or model communication models, um, and these are models that exist in healthcare already and that are used on a daily basis um, to facilitate communication. So there is one called Spikes, for example. So. Spikes, spikes is used in spikes as a spikes as an odd term to use in the medical profession i'm thinking injury now and, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah well it's, it's sort of <laughs> sort of post injury if you like <laughs> yeah. sorry i i interrupted you so spikes yes please no, no, um so so spikes is a is a is a model for delivering bad news to a patient or um or, or a relative indeed um and 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 so the model is broken up into these different sections highlighted by you know by the actor so S in spikes would be setting, for example. So you've got to make sure that the setting where you're delivering the bad news is appropriate to the situation. So, um, I mean, I, I, I know of people who've had bad news delivered to them in a hospital corridor, for example. Um, clearly uh, a no-no. So that's a more of a sort of a physical um, aspect to the to the, um, the, the delivery, if you like. But then um, P, um, as in so SP, spikes. Yeah. 
P is perception. And perception is all about trying to understand where the patient's coming from. What does the patient know already about their condition? Um, and, and trying to adapt the knowledge that you, that you then convey, the information that you then convey to them in a way that's appropriate to um, what they already know. It's a little bit like when you're teaching students, in fact. So you're going from the knowledge of the student, um, if you like, and, and building so it's, it's that sort of approach. I'm just wondering uh, as well, just because I find it very interesting what you're saying. I, I guess there's a lot of, uh, there's a, um, we talked before about how things were said, but I guess there's quite a bit of cultural perception in this as well. Mm. You know, the way that there would need to be some intercultural competency, competency in, in, in in what you're teaching so oh totally totally i mean my um the the, the doctors that i have um are uh, a good number of them are from india bangladesh um, um pakistan nigeria and particularly in india um, and bangladesh bad news is um, any news about a patient is delivered to everybody so it's delivered oh, right. to the whole family <laughs> Um, so it's so one of the, so that's a very cultural thing obviously um, and in some cultures I believe in Japanese culture you don't inform the patient it's the um, the responsibility of the relatives um, to inform the patient of the diagnosis so you can imagine how you know sort of that that, that poses a bit of a problem for 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 um, overseas doctors working in the UK you know yeah. Consent for for everything. You know, you need to ask consent for, um, for for almost everything these days. Sorry, I took you away, Spike. Well, I don't, I don't think the listeners mm. listeners would be very happy if we didn't understand what the uh, the I K and E were for as well. Oh right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> So um, I is invitation. So um, I is invitation, meaning that um, you have to ask the patient um, to to. to to try to determine if they are ready for, to receive the information, if you like. Mm -hmm. um, so it's an invitation to, to continue and asking for consent. Is it okay if I continue? Um, are, are you ready to, you know, for, for us to, to, to discuss this issue? Um, and, you know, you pause because pausing is, is also very valid um, means of communication as well to allow people to sort of prepare themselves, if you like. Knowledge is the amount of knowledge that you deliver about the diagnosis or the bad news. Some people only want the sort of bare minimum. You know, just give me an overview. Yeah, don't, don't just, just, yeah. I don't yeah, want the break, break it down for me. Yeah, no, don't give me everything. I don't understand yeah, the whole of the bed. Yeah, 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 I'm yeah a bit okay. squeamish or whatever. Yeah. I, don't, I don't really want to know. Um, e is empathy, what we were talking huh? about earlier. So empathy is, you know, you, you've got to be careful because people are very um, quick to give sympathy. And empathy and sympathy are not quite the same. Um, so it's not just about, you know, choosing the right uh, delivery pattern, as we were talking about earlier. You do have to choose the right words as well. Mm. Um, you know, it's the, 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 the classic is, oh, well, don't worry, it'll be okay. You know, um, you can turn that around and make it sound a, a little bit more empathetic by saying, um, try not to worry. You know, it just that in terms of the English, it's not particularly difficult. It's not a difficult level of English that we're demanding of the of, of the students, if you like. But it is very subtle differences. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, 
Um, and then in terms of empathy, there's also about, you know, how you support the patient or the relative um, as well. And then finally, the, the S is, um, is summary and strategy. So going forward, what are we going to do? What's the plan of action? And then you devise that with the patient or with the relative. Um, and then a, a summary of what you've what you've just discussed and, and the plan going forward. It's a really, it's, I, I've sat there listening to a framework thinking, hey, that's really interesting. Uh, mm -hmm. It must be an interesting way of dealing with it. But also, it seems like actually quite a handy framework, not just for medical English, but listening to, you know, most situations, even a business situation yep. could be, could follow that kind of um, yeah. could yeah, yeah, framework yeah. to a certain extent. Uh, totally. Yeah, uh, I wrote an article about that once um, for, uh, for the BSIG, um, business issues magazine about uh, how we could use spikes learning from the medical field how we could use spikes in um, in, in, in business and management no it certainly sounds like I should dig out that article uh, somewhere <laughs> so medical medical English is you know is it something I remember when um, when I used to be uh, kind of director of studies in Prague it'd be the new teacher come in you go yeah you've got your general English class and you've got your business English class off you go doodle pip um can, can, is, is medical English that can anybody teach it within reason or do you need to have a specialist background I don't believe you have to have a specialist background um especially not for patient communication skills what you need to have is an understanding of people um what, what makes people tick obviously it's all about communication and effective communication um and as i said there's a lot of models that uh, framework models communication models that you can work with um to to devise your your lessons around I mean that's how that's how I do it um, and there's an awful lot of material about patient communications that is a very accessible to the layperson right um, and one of the important things when you're speaking to patients is is that you need to avoid using um, unnecessary jargon and medical terminology and if you do use medical terminology you need to explain it either immediately before or immediately after you've said the mm. word um, so it's um, you learn as with any ESP area you learn so much from your students um, I you know I, I love teaching I, I love teaching in this field because you just learn so much you can tell you can always tell when you meet a teacher that loves their field because there's, there's something there's just something about the way they tell you about it or the enthusiasm yeah. in, in someone's voice and you've clearly you're clearly uh, doing that is it a field you plan to get into I mean I, I, I never imagined when I started as a teacher which, you know I think a lot of us start teaching just because that I would now be where what I do, do what I do and, you know, working in the situations I work and obviously our, our mutual IHFL kind of understanding. Is, is it, did you set out to be a, a medical English practitioner? Mm -hmm. um, I, I didn't actually. It was one of those sort of typical scenarios where the the person who was teaching medical English at the time where I was working um, in Paris um, had to suddenly go back to the States, uh, accompany her husband back home. And so, ah, right, well, we need somebody to teach this. Off you course. go. Ah, so you wear the two little people off you go. <laughs> <laughs> we, need, we needed to develop a course. Um, oh, time, gosh in 1998 um, there were very few medical English books around but there was nothing um, really that helped you to um, engage with patients or or even um, anything specialist in terms of building um, let's say presentation skills for medical conferences okay you know, and, and you know, it was really quite limited at the time. And there's, um, you know, there's a lot more, a lot more books available these days. Than so what you're saying is, you you completely you came in and you revolutionised the material market for the book. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Last question. I'm just envisaging your lesson. You talked about all the doctors. Uh, I, I presume, am, I, am I right to presume there's a lot of role play or is it? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, there has to be really. I mean, I, I, I try to avoid having to do that myself, but um, I put them in the, in, in the scenarios and, and I get them to build the scenarios because, I mean, if I've got doctors, you know, a group of doctors who work in A&E um, on, a, on a daily basis, then they have plenty of um, uh, case uh, patient cases to, um, to, to develop role plays from. Are doctors good students? Uh-huh. <laughs> they, <laughs> no, they are actually. They they, they really are. Um, they can be a little bit more serious. They're a bit more serious than than the nurses, for example. Right. Um, but they really. And I think this is a big difference, actually, from when I first started out 20 years ago, um, where it was kind of like, well, what's her background and how on earth is she going to help me? You know, she's got no medical background whatsoever. Today, there's a different perception of patient communication skills um, and, and, and what is necessary. And quite often you've, you've got people um, from countries where they, they don't necessarily um, study patient communication skills in the same way, but realize when they come to the UK or they, or they arrive in Ireland, they really do have to adapt to the culture of the um, of the healthcare system, which is is often, as I say, quite different from what they're used to back home. Mm. It all sounds very, very interesting. I, I you know, I obviously contacted you and said, look, we really need someone to explain to us what medical medical English medical English for medical purposes is. And I think uh, the listeners will have to agree. Uh, we've I've, we've all got a splendid insight into what takes place. So I've sold it. I've sold it. <laughs> I think uh, I think now we all have a really good idea of what what that kind of that specialization is because it is one of those things you know it's not like there's a course for it you, you do your CELTA course or your TEFL course or your business English course but med- mm-hmm. learning how to teach medical uh, English for medical purposes probably is 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 a very niche area so now we know a lot more about it and uh, thank you so much for your time and enlightening us. No problem. Thank you. That is very interesting. It is. And Spikes. Spikes is going to be my new new thing. And I think, as I I said in the interview, Spikes will be, I think it's a great, I think it's a framework that works outside of, uh, outside of medical English, as as we, as we clearly discussed. But yeah, I just found that interesting because, you know, you, you, you take, you you just forget how people end up in their jobs and how they do this and how different forms of English are taught. Yeah. (sighs) Anyway, shall we move on? Let's move on. I think we have the next thing I just wanted to touch on briefly because I did a bit of research on this as well. I wondered about teachers and health. So we're talking about like teaching health and teaching sickness words and health and language. How healthy are teachers as a profession? So there's different kind of things. I mean, I only found for one country, I found a study, recent study of the past 10 years of teachers in Germany. Okay. Top line thing. Do you think teachers healthier or less healthy than other many other professions or yeah, i same. would say less healthy and i, I put that I, I actually do that as a parent and you, as a, you might yeah you might have found that the amount of illnesses that go around schools are <laughs> terrible that's true so it must be countrywide because the german study and then i i asked you to look up british stuff and yeah. i think that's what's okay. coloring your response the german study they said compared to the general population teachers have a more healthy lifestyle and a lower frequency of cardiovascular risk uh, okay well I, yeah that's true i'm thinking but, more, i'm thinking more of the day-to-day cold or stuff like that that you get yes i suppose um 
but they said mental and psychosomatic diseases are more common in teachers and non-specific complaints such as exhaustion, fatigue, headache, and tension. Um, it's commonly said that three to five percent of teachers suffer from burnout, but reliable data on this data on this topic are lacking, among other reasons, because the term has no standard definition. And the, but this one here, you'll tell me, compared to Britain, the percentage of teachers on sick leave is generally lower than the overall percentage among other. Uh, statutory, statutory insurees in Germany. Um, number of teachers taking early retirement because of illness has steadily declined over the past okay. 20 years and stands at 19% with an average age of 58 years among tenured teachers. Well, yeah, probably it's because the number of tenured teachers has also <laughs> declined over the past yeah. 20 years. Um, and the main reasons for early retirement are mental and psychosomatic illness. But what about the UK? Well, Teachers... it's interesting. Uh, so the UK, the, the, uh, the research uh, from uh, February this year, I would just check in, uh, suggests that, uh, and I don't, think any, I don't think we'd be surprised by this, that the, number of, the percentage number of sick days taken off for mental health reasons is, is increased. And it's kind of increasing yeah. percent by percent uh, year on year at the moment. But I think this, I mean, it's interesting. I, I, and... and um, so they, they say it's twenty nine percent of the of all sick days now, or last year were were for mental illness. But I also wonder if that's how can I put it without without being pejorative because there's now a more focus on mental um, health as well. You know that it's getting diagnosed better and doing it because if you yeah. think about, I mean, we talked about it uh, previously about the loneliness of the teaching profession, and we've talked to before. Yes. We've had yes, we've, definitely in different seasons. We've talked about well-being and this idea of well-being and, and teacher well-being. Uh, I think is is um, is one of the uh, on-trend topics at the moment, rightly so. So I think once you start, um, I, I think when you start um, identifying that or helping people, it naturally leads, I would say, to. Um, rightly so people getting identified and dealing with issues and i wonder how much of that is you know the two the, the fact there's more awareness leads to more rising you see what i mean it's, uh which which chicken and egg yeah kind, kind of thing and i'm not playing it down in any way i think you know 29 percent yeah is i mean both my sisters very big both my i mean also I, state education so i know what stress they're under all all, all the time oh well definitely but, i mean i think also we have um that's why we see more when when i was looking online for like health for teachers a lot of the stuff relates to uh, mental health, stress, and so on. For example, if you look up health for construction workers, it's all like wearing the helmet and yeah. lifting with yeah. your knees and not with your back and, and being careful with the machinery and stuff like that. And, you know, not so much about stress, whereas the teacher stuff is, is all stress-related. So I, I did a divide, and one of the things that it just amazed me, and this is typical. So this is from the Daily Mail Online, which I do apologize for referencing and bringing it up. Oh God. But okay. I, was looking, right. I was looking for statistics on, uh, on ill teachers from the last uh, year as uh, as we as we talked about and um so the daily mail headline from last year was and it, it screams at you teachers in england take fifty-one thousand sick days a week okay uh fifty-one thousand right. a week and then you think okay well that's quite worrying what you think the article might be about um you know why so many sick days are going on and, you know is there an inherent issue in, in education but no they they harp on at the cost of this of of how much this is costing the government and people because of the tax that it does and paying people for other lessons and you just you know you just slap your head moment and go you know you, you, you oh think, my god yeah you're blame but yeah missing yeah. the point yeah. blame the teacher don't think of anything else yeah anyway go on and go just on. get them to suck it up yeah but 
let's go through just a few. I'm just going to share a couple of health tips for teachers. Um, here's from a book called 100 Essential Lists for Teachers. Uh, they have hints for a healthier you as a teacher. Um, I like the, the ones that I think are particularly nice. There's some, like, there are some obvious ones like don't smoke. Okay. Don't drink too much coffee. All right. Um, don't, don't drink alcohol if you're stressed. Okay. These are kind of obvious ones. Um, I, th I like this one. Don't spring up too quickly after bending down to talk to a student. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that, that for the teacher of the young learner one, after you get to a certain age, that would be a, a health thing. <laughs> sort of like, oh yeah, can I, oh, and then you suddenly stand up quickly after monitoring a pair work and throw your back out. It's, um, it's funny because I, uh, I found a less, uh, I, I think the article you're looking at is very detailed, but um, I found one that says five health tips for teachers and uh, back was one of the big health ones. Uh, like yeah. care for your back. Well, back, there's another one that they talk about is like sleep. Teachers often have sleep problems. Um, uh, taking a break, walking around at lunchtime and get outside. Um, Stand up straight. You know, then keep your tall with your stomach tucked in <laughs> yeah. and your shoulders relaxed. That's the advice on this page I'm looking at. Yes. Uh, they have several of those kind of things here as well. A three-minute breathing space during lunchtime. Sit comfortably, focus on your breath. Your mind will wander. Gently bring it back. I like that. That's you can also take a five. Mindfulness, isn't it? Basically, it is. Yeah. This is a bit mindfulness, right? This is a the best medicine for happy Thursday is laughter. Have a giggle. Okay. <laughs> okay. I think mine. <laughs> All right. Mine, I'm mine beginning to like this one. Mine is slightly more I'm, serious, I think. <laughs> yeah, I'm beginning to like my links less and less as I read through okay. this. All right. So, so mine were mine were quite simple. Care for your voice. Care for your back. Oh yes. Avoid, yeah, we, did a, we did an episode way back when on voice, didn't we? Avoid eye strain. That's right. Um, one, that, yep. one that's very interesting, given, and this was written ages ago, wash your hands often with soap and water, which kind of takes us back, back to the beginning. We're back to the washing hands. And, then, and then invest in yourself, which is what you kind of talked about. It did occur to me as we were nice. talking that one, one element that we're not really discussing here is the, is the sick teacher, in the sense that um, a lot of teachers are on zero-hour contracts, so they, they don't get that's paid. True. But also, if, in a language true, school, yeah. uh, if somebody goes sick, that brings in the standby lesson, and you're like... You, Oh, right. That does bring sense. And the substitute teacher, yeah. which we also we did. It's amazing how meta this episode is when we, when we look at it. Oh, yeah. We brought it all in. <laughs> so okay. if, if you want to if if find out what we've talked about, there are another 10 seasons where a lot of these things have been uh, checked before. All right, Lindsay, I can't uh, let an episode finish without, I mean, with the subject of health, without some jokes. And you started this, remember? Oh. You started this season, yes. episode one of this season, you tried to take my mantle. So jokes are coming back okay. every time. Uh, so I'm gonna, vengeance. Yeah, they okay. really are. So I'm going to go for the doctor, doctor joke, you know, the, the simple doctor, doctor joke. So doctor, doctor, okay. doctor, doctor, I think I'm suffering from deja vu. Uh, didn't I see you yesterday? These are actually quite good for you in the costume. You could cut them <laughs> Okay. So I'm going to give you the punchline. You have to tell me what the what the person said to the doctor, okay? And it always doctor, doctor. Sorry, it's doctor, okay. doctor. All right, uh, good. Okay, so, so do, do, that one is a first as a practice one. Yeah, Let's so just demo are, it with are, the. Are, are, are you ready, Lindsay? So the the the, yeah. the the doctor said, "Didn't I see you yesterday?" So and then I say, "Doctor, doctor, I think I'm suffering from déjà vu." Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, uh, so the. <laughs> okay, I got it. I got the, it. So I got the it, patient said, uh, "Sorry, the doctor said, certainly, here's a kite." Doctor, doctor, I'm. I, I want to. Oh, I, I language. I want to. I want to fly. Uh, do, do, doctor, doctor, can you give me something for wind? 
Oh my God. Okay. Right. Uh, right. Two more. Two more. Uh, uh, they, they, that sounded very British. That sounded very English. I know by it the way. is. It's a very English site. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's such a three So uh, the, the, the doctor says, You certainly do, madam. This is a fish and chip shop. Doctor, doctor, I think I'm lost. No, no doctor, doctor. I think. Yeah. I, think I, I think. I, I, I think. I, I, I need <laughs> glasses. Oh God. Doctor, doctor. I think oh, I no. need glasses. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Oh, These are really bad. No, they're okay. good. They're good. They're good. You, 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 okay. Doctor, right. One more. One more. Then. All right. And, and this is quite difficult. And and the spelling of of this word. You, uh, mm. Oh, because the others were really easy. All right. Well, go on. If anybody had a humorous streak, uh, so the patient says. Uh, sorry, the doctor says. Mm, sounds like a guilt complex. And guilt is J uh, G I L T. So mm, sounds like a guilt complex. <laughs> doctor, doctor. Good. Something with gold. Oh, yes. I keep I keep painting myself. <laughs> what? I Do keep I, painting Doctor Doctor, I keep painting myself gold. Mm, sounds like a guilt complex. <laughs> oh my god. That is that is <laughs> unbelievable. Okay, right, so I, that's the end right. of the podcast. So just to last finish, Doctor Doctor, I've broken my arm in two places. Doctor uh, the doctor says, Well, don't go back there again. There you go. always your fault right shall we get out of here <laughs> i think so i think so right so you've been listening to the tearful commute and you can find us if you want to go and check any of those uh, older episodes you can find us on all the usual podcast things so you'll find us on spotify you will find us on itunes you will find us uh, on our website at tearfulcommute.com we're now on Instagram. We're also on Facebook, uh, Twitter, uh, all the usual places. Um, if you have any uh, thoughts, activities, 20 second uh, intros, 20 second intros, head washing tips. Um, for us, uh, <laughs> yes. Well, as you know, no, no coronavirus tips, but other things to do with illness and teaching, uh, please drop us a line at one of those places. We always love to hear from you. Don't forget to wash your hands. See you for episode <laughs> four. Bye, everyone. Bye. As your commute is coming to an end, here's an activity you can take into class. In the episode, Lindsay talked about the metaphors for illness. So, for the end of pod activity, we suggest you use this for a listening and speaking lesson. In the show notes, find the article Lindsay was talking about and have that ready for you to look at in class. In the lesson, Ask the students to make a table with a column called down, one called attacker, another war, and finally color. Next, dictate some of the phrases from the article and ask the students to write them in the correct column. Let them discuss their choices and then check as a class. Introduce or discuss the idea of metaphor and ask students to talk about what they notice about the ones you dictated. As Lindsay said in the episode, they are all negative. Open the discussion up, ask the class to think about if such language could actually stop someone from getting better or seeking treatment. Finally, ask students to consider their own language for illness and see if similar metaphors exist. You've been listening to The TEFL Commute, an original podcast produced and presented by Lindsay Clanfield, Sean Wilden 
and James Taylor. Don't miss out on any episodes by subscribing to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast player of choice, and by visiting us at tifflecommute.com. Thank you.